The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review Austin's third straight road win in Atlanta, and then we'll preview the two Copa Tejas matches coming up this week and cover a few other pieces of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I spent my Saturday, as many Saturdays in the summer, at a pool for seven or eight hours for a child's swim meet. On the other hand... Oh, I thought you were going to say relaxing in a pool. No, I wish. No, volunteering <laughs> in a pool. On the other hand, you were in Atlanta, so let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, it was a great weekend. This was my first, uh, my, my second out-of-state away day, but my first big out-of-state away day. I've done, uh, I did both SC Dallas matches last year. I did for, uh, Houston this year. Did Minnesota last year, but there was like 10 of us there on that one. So it was a really small group. I think we had somewhere between 150 and 200 people in Atlanta. So a big crowd, lots of um, lots of just mobbing around downtown Atlanta with way too many people to be in one spot ever, but we made it work somehow. Uh, it also, um, some of the leadership with the supporters groups set up a pickup match at one of the soccer in the streets pitches, those uh, uh, some of the listeners may may have seen these, but they're these little mini pitches that are built along the train stops, like the public transit stops all all along the city, all around the city of Atlanta. And so we met up with some Atlanta United supporters and played a pickup match uh, the morning of the game on Saturday. And Sam Jones, who a lot of you will know from the MLS newsletter. He also writes the articles for the MLS power rankings and has been covering Atlanta United since that team began existing. He also just joined the striker with the strikers expansion to uh, California and to Atlanta. Sam Jones is going to be the essentially the striker Atlanta. Like he's going to be the guy, uh, kind of the main guy there. So I got to meet up with him, play some soccer with him. Um, I've really enjoyed his his writing for several years now. So it was uh, a lot of fun to get get to meet him and play some soccer with him. Um, but the yeah, the the whole trip was great. We did um, pregame on a rooftop hotel across from Mercedes Benz Stadium. And had the morga up there, and we're—I don't know—it was just—it was just fun to be that much of a spectacle <laughs> in that city, and for people to to like know what it was about too. Because I feel like in in a lot of cities, you go around with that many people wearing a jersey that people maybe don't recognize, and they're like, "What is going on?" But in, in Atlanta, people knew, like, "Oh, this there's another MLS team in town." I think that's like what it means to be in a city where the the soccer team is relevant in the market. So that was the exact opposite of our experience in Colorado, right? In Denver. Yeah. <laughs> people would come out, they're like, this is weird. Why is there a street parade? And then we explained to it, and they're like, oh, there's a team here? And with, Col- with Colorado, you're like, well, I mean, not exactly in Denver, but, you know, Denver-ish. But how was the stadium itself? You know, I've heard... I've never seen a live sporting event there. I mean, it seems like a great place to watch a match. I mean, it's huge. So I bet the sight lines were not amazing. But like, how how did you rate that experience? The facility itself is really nice. Like the just everything is really nice looking. Everything is really well built and put together. 
I think for as big as it is, the sight lines are quite good, but we were a long way from the field. <laughs> we were up in the like the third tier, about as high as you can go in that place. Um, it honestly, like I really enjoyed watching the game up there from a tactical perspective, but being able to see like finer details of anything that was going on was pretty difficult. Luckily they have the, what do they call it? Like the halo board or something like that, where it's a big circular. Oh, in the middle uh, of the field. Jumbotron. Yeah. The, like up above the stadium, like where the, the roof can open. It's like around the opening there. And so, and they were really good about playing replays and stuff, like more than, uh, probably more replays than you would get at Q2 for a standard game, which was really nice because to be that far away, it was, it was good to get like some highlights every once in a while up there. Or if there was ever an obstruction or something, like something got in the way or like something was happening that I wanted to see a little bit closer, I could just peek up at the big screen and they had the game playing live up there as well. So uh, all in all, it was, it was like not bad uh i'd say for as far away from the field as we were is actually uh, a pretty good viewing experience from up there it's cool and then the hot dogs were three dollars which is probably yeah. whatever they are which is probably a good experience too everyone was marveling at how cheap the food was in there <laughs> and it was like it was a, a much different um a much different culinary experience like q2 is very much going for like uh, like, um, I don't know, a more sophisticated, sophisticated set of cuisine in the stadium. And so you can get some really nice, like really good food, but it's way more expensive. Mercedes Benz was definitely more like standard stadium food, like hot dogs, nachos, um, some like some kind of sandwich with meat <laughs> on it. There were a few like kind of fancier things that were still quite cheap. I think like probably 12 bucks was the most expensive food item that you could get. And that was like a shrimp sandwich or like some type of uh, like chopped beef sandwich, like kind of a fancier thing that you would have paid 15 or 20 bucks for at Q2 probably. Um, but yeah, I, I think that part of it is, is excellent. The facility is excellent, uh, but it's like, it is very big. All right. Well, let's talk about players. We, we had this special edition last week. Um, Washington Caruso, which is a guy that we thought we might see, but we did not. Do we want to go ahead and talk about why we didn't see him now? Do we know? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Well, you didn't want, did you watch Mike and Adrian on the broadcast? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. Yeah, I was the in the stadium. <laughs> there you go. I thought you might have re rewatched it, but I rewatched yeah. the game, but I didn't rewatch the, uh, pregame part. Yeah. There was one point where we talked about there being some paperwork, some international paperwork issues that kept him. Oh. So I think it was, that was why he was probably on the trip but didn't play. So maybe they took him along thinking maybe they would be able to um, square those away before the match and they weren't. So he's still not necessarily available to play. Okay. Interesting. That will be uh, very interesting to watch for Tuesday to see if he is available. Yeah. I completely missed that during the, the, the rewatch there. Um, so yeah, if, if y'all haven't done so yet, you can go back to, I think we put it out on Thursday but we did a special episode all about Washington Caruso, find out who he is, what we think he's going to bring to this team. We already have some more reports. It started out as somewhat of a rumor and is seeming to be like a very solid report that Austin FC is going to be signing 29-year-old Argentine winger uh, Emiliano Rigoni. And this is worth bringing up that the the 
report that started getting a lot of attention was Jeff Carlisle um, tweeting about ESPN Brazil reporting that this move was happening and had all the details. But a day or two before, We Are Austin TV said that they got a DM, someone letting them know that like, hey, this move might be happening. So it's pretty wild that that We Are Austin TV is scooping ESPN in this case. <laughs> yeah, good for those guys. I don't know where it's coming from, but what a what a good what a good deal. And it's funny how those all evolve, right? Like two days before we signed Caroso, everybody's annoyed that transfer season is open and we haven't signed a player and all of a sudden we have one and then and then you know everybody goes back to well gosh we get this one guy in but we're not hearing anything anything about another player and then yeah over the course of like thirty six hours it goes from Ernan posting that he's got a rumor about something to like ESPN reporting that this is the guy and everybody is especially like Spanish language websites, like there's a ton of articles about it. It seems like there's a lot of smoke that goes along with this. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a little bit of information about Rigoni. Uh, as I said, 29-year-old Argentine winger. He's currently at Sao Paulo in Brazil. He started his career in Argentina, uh, first at Belgrano and then Independiente. In 2017, he moved to Zenit and made 47 appearances there. He was Sebastian Andriussi's teammate there for a year. So he would have a familiar face on the team there. He was loaned out to two different Italian teams two years in a row and then a team in Spain for the third year. And so like not not a great little stretch there. I'm not sure what happened in in Russia for for him to not be kept there and to be loaned out so many times, but um, never really stuck in any of those teams. I've watched a little bit of uh, just like highlight stuff. I haven't gotten a chance to to do the deep dive yet, but f- on first glance, he looks super talented. Um, he can play all the way across the front line. I think he mostly plays right wing, but saw some, some clips of him playing a bit more inside, um, definitely running like up the middle or in those inside channels as opposed to running up the wing Um, and then playing all like even on the left side as well. So I think he can play all across that front line and can use both feet really well. I saw some really good finishes, some really good crosses with both feet in, in these highlight reels. I think the concerning part is that he has moved around quite a bit and has been pretty inconsistent throughout those years. So you can chalk this up to, I mean, he, he made that move to Russia when he was young, uh, in his early to mid twenties, early twenties. And so like, if, if one move like that goes wrong, it's not hard for a career to kind of stall. He was really, apparently really, really good at Sao Paulo in 2021. And then this season has kind of disappeared. And, um, they had, uh, Hernan Crespo was the, the manager there, an Argentinian guy and really liked him, was playing him a lot. Um, Rigoni was playing really well under him. Crespo gets fired. And after that, Rigoni's playing time starts going down. His production goes down and it seems to be kind of a mystery among Sao Paulo fans and media. Like what happened to this guy? He was so good last year and he's just kind of disappeared. So that is a little bit concerning. Um, that's something if this becomes more official and we, we do a deep dive, we will spend more time talking about what we see in the film and, and like what our concerns are about this player. But for now, let's uh, let's leave that and talk about 
how he might fit into Austin's roster build because the answer right now is that he wouldn't, right? <laughs> right, right. The answer right now is there's no spot available for him and there are not a ton of options. I mean, people have talked about various things online among the fan base about what might happen, but basically with the reported fee, he has to be a DP. We know we have no DP spots available. And I guess you do you want to talk about our options for freeing up a DP spot? Yeah, so in this uh, this ESPN Brazil article, it mentions the possibility of buying Alex Ring down to free up a DP spot. And I've seen that quoted a couple of other places as well. But Jeremiah, you and I were kind of talking through it before we started the show, and that's not really an option, is it? Because as we've covered <laughs> uh, ad nauseum in in this show, whenever Alex Ring was signed, was uh, his contract was renewed as a designated player. One of the reasons that he could be that is because he is a tamable player. We'll use this is not a real term. We're going to use the word tamable in this case. He is a player who could realistically be bought down with Tam to no longer be a designated player. With the fee, if the reported fee of four million is correct. That fee gets amortized across the length, the span of a contract, and that counts towards your your salary budget. And so, if, even if it were a four year contract, which maybe is a little long, um, let's say it's four years, then that's one million dollars a year going towards this salary budget. He would need to be making like just over six hundred thousand dollars a year to still fit in that tamable range, which seems unlikely considering kind of the profile and the, the talent level of this guy. I think he's going to be making more than that. Um, therefore he would need to take up a real DP slot. And so Alex ring would not be able to be bought down and keep this guy around. I guess the other option would be you could get rid of two of our U 22 players. Yeah. I was going to say, cause the reason your third player has to be tamable is, Otherwise, you can only take advantage of one U22 spot. And right now we have Rodney, Sean, and Musajite. So you could get rid of two of those three guys to make right. ring and spot like, available. But that I know there's been some some chatter around Rodney maybe being on the move after his agent uh, said, some, some, said some things on a radio show, but that's still just one. And the other two don't seem like they're on their way out anytime soon. So... Um, I think really the only option is for Cecilia Dominguez to be on the way out, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely the only way to do that because not only um, do we have this thing with the DP spots, but Cecilia Dominguez, because he got his green card during this season, occupies an international spot, which we also have no international slots available right now. Right. So another <laughs> another conversation we had before the show is figuring out, wait, do we actually not have any international slots? Uh, and the answer we're fairly confident now is no, we don't have any international spots. So Kolmanich, Romagna, and Redes all got green cards in January because they got those green cards before the roster compliance date in, I think February 25th was that date. Those guys no longer take up an international roster spot for this season. Dominguez got his after that date. Therefore, does still take up an international roster spot for the the remainder of this season. If he were still to be in MLS in the 2023 season, he would no longer take up an international roster, international roster spot. But for now, he does. 
So Driussi, Dominguez, Valencia, Gite, Pereira all take up international roster slots. Um, we had those three spots uh, that we gained from Kolmanich, Romagna, and Red is getting green cards. We sold one of those spots to Miami. We signed Ruben Gabrielson. That leaves one. And then we signed Washington Caruso. That leaves zero. So another reason why it almost has to be Cecilia Dominguez leaving to make room for this deal. Yeah, I can't believe we just had to go through all that. And I'm glad that we went through it. <laughs> I'm glad that we went through it like off mic before everybody had to suffer through us like talking ourselves through this. But yes, if we've, we, I think we've managed to build a compelling case that the only way this deal happens is if Cecilio Dominguez is on his way out. So this leads to the question from Devin. We answer questions from from Devin pretty regularly. Some of them are very stupid and we have to answer them because he is a, a captain level Patreon member. This one is actually serious and is about soccer. Devin says with links to players like Rigoni, who's 29, would it be prudent for Austin to make win now signings versus a stable younger team build? It kind of looks like Austin is maybe like if this pans out, it kind of looks like maybe they are kind of going for it right now, doesn't it? It does. And I think this is one of these things. It's a benefit of building a roster in a flexible way is I don't know that anybody expected Austin to be this, be in this position where we are right now. I mean, how many people picked picked us to be second in the West, but because like Cecilia, but because Claudio has done such a good job of building like flexibility into this roster, like we can, adjust to the situation and you know right now why not go for it you know who knows if everybody's going to play this way again is julio cascante going to have another season like this you know as all the pieces that have fallen into place to get us where we are like are those going to happen again maybe maybe not so why not go ahead and and go for it and take a chance to try to win now and not just always sort of build this slow and steady roster for the future yeah so in a uh, a group chat earlier i i hope chris wellhausen doesn't mind me telling tales out of school here because this was in a private chat, but uh, he's, it, it was very funny. So I thought it would be fun to share on the, sh- on the show, but he said, bringing in two strong signings in the middle of an already strong season feels like being at a great concert. And then they bring on one of your other favorite artists to play with them for a song in the middle of the set. Metaphorically speaking, I think Rigoni is going to do a guitar solo. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really does feel like that. Like we're, we said last week, uh, Steve, our friend Steve on Twitter said, we don't need saving. Like these players aren't saviors because we don't need saving. We're fine. We do. We could use some depth and like a little bit more quality coming off the bench or, or in like maybe in one or two spots in the starting lineup, but it's a strong team bringing in spots like this just makes it a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper and maybe raises our top end by a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's exciting to see the team making moves like that. I think something that we saw on Twitter earlier maybe raised this question. This is uh, a different Washington, not Caruso, but Fagundes, who is Diego's father and agent, tweeted, algo que huele feo lo estoy sintiendo. Uh, essentially saying like I'm I'm I get the feel or I feel like something smells bad, something stinks. This we don't know anything about this. This may not be related to, to Diego at all, but with bringing in two players that put their primary position is on the wing. 
should Diego Fagundes be concerned? Or like, do we think Diego Fagundes' playing time is going to suffer at all because of this? I think with the addition of a DP, maybe it will. But I don't think it's a bad thing overall for him or the team. I mean, we've demanded so much of that guy over two years. And I feel like he would maybe be a better player overall. And if he had a chance to like get some amount of relief, you know, he's playing so many minutes. Yeah, no, I, my feeling about this is that on paper and to start off with, I don't think this threatens Diego's starting spot at all. Um, He's very important to this team. And there's, there's some, some moments during the Atlanta match that I want to highlight later on when we get into that, that kind of show why and how important he is to this team. But I feel like maybe one of these guys, these two new guys would be competing for the same spot and Diego would still be able to do Diego things either on the wing or playing more centrally sometimes. But yeah, is he going to get less playing time? Yes, but like you said, that's probably a good thing. Like there are a lot of games where we keep him in or we play him on tired legs because we have to and like we we need him in the game. And if we have that option to bring in a different a different threat at times and get him a little rest or rotate him, it's like maybe it's okay then to rotate a guy like this. But it it does put pressure on him if he stops performing for whatever reason, and these other guys are playing well, yeah, maybe he does lose a starting spot temporarily or permanently, but you want that in a good team. Like you want your starters being, being pushed. Diego has shown that he, he pushes himself pretty well, but at the top level, you want your, uh, your best athletes being challenged and and your starters being challenged. Yeah. So I think the guys that are set to lose the most minutes from these two signings, if they happen or, Ethan Finley mm-hmm. and uh, and Owen Wolf and again like Owen Wolf is really good for a seventeen year old but is it okay if Owen Wolf is not on the field very much probably so especially for a team that's I mean more or less competing for the supporter shield right now with the way they're playing right I mean it's okay if he sees a little bit of a, a little bit of time and if Finley sees less time and if we never have to see Rodney Redis on the field again because now Ethan Finley is like our last option on the wing like that's that's the kind of thing that a championship team needs to be able to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I, I we're recording this on a Monday night. I can almost guarantee we're going to see smoke on Tuesday morning, not because I have any inside information, but just because that's when we're releasing this show and didn't have time to cover it. So if we get smoke uh, early this week, maybe we'll have time to do a special episode again for this signing, uh, or maybe it ends up on the next show. We'll keep you posted on Twitter and let you know what that's going to look like, but it'll depend on when uncle Tony wants to share his green smoke with us. All right. We still need to get to the Atlanta United match. And then we need to preview the Houston and Dallas matches. First, we're going to take a quick break. Hang tight. We'll be back soon with more moon shower soccer. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Austin Daily Drop. Austin Daily Drop is a gathering of the local news stories that broadcasting veteran Chris Mosier finds impactful and interesting. Served up as a quick digest. It covers everything that you want to know that's going on in the city, uh, from city government to local business to sports, music, dining, everything in between. It's usually posted 
by 8 a.m. Monday to Friday and usually runs between 8 and 10 minutes. Summed up, the Austin Daily Drop is a quick, easy, and reliable way to be up to speed about everything that happened in Austin that you need to know about. So I assume Chris will be talking about the heat. I would imagine so. I, I, would, I would think so. Probably uh, uh, Uncle Greg and our friends over at, at ERCOT and them telling us to, <laughs> to conserve our energy, which is why I'm recording in a very warm house wearing a tank top right now. <laughs> All right, well, if you could give Chris 10 minutes, he'll give you Austin on the Austin Daily Drop. We're doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group for the next home match. To enter, go to MoontowerSoccer.com, then click on Free Ticket Giveaway in the top navigation bar, or click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group, so if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FEF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And speaking of community, as a long-time follower of FEF's Instagram page, um, I found uh, that in 2020, they, well, yeah, last year, I think, they, I think the 2020 was the last time they gave this out, they won a... Uh, Ethical Business Practice Award from the Better Business Bureau. There's a beautiful picture of Aaron Von Flader holding his plaque, and they will be handing that over to somebody this year. So I think that just kind of shows the kind of firm they are and how you should work with them if you get injured. You can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. All right, we are back, and we are going to recap Austin FC's win over Atlanta United on Saturday. So Austin FC won 3-0 against Atlanta. This was the first and only time Atlanta has been beaten by three goals at home, I believe. Uh, Goals were scored by Felipe, by Ethan Finley, who Ethan Finley now has a goal and an assist in two consecutive games. And then the last one was by Sebastian Driussi, who's now on 10 goals for the season, only behind Tati Castellanos for the golden boot right now. Uh, A really dominant performance by Austin FC in a stadium that was once considered an extremely difficult place to play. Uh, Didn't really feel that way on Saturday, did it? No, not at all. And Austin gets out there, I mean, early, right? The first two goals in the first 20 minutes. And did you see Joseph Martinez's post-game interview? Yes. That was very interesting. I think really speaks to the state of Atlanta United. Who I think everybody keeps expecting more out of, right? Like, even going into this, you're like, well, they're 10th in the East, but they're at home and they have a ton of talent. And they obviously they have like a... They have a very expensive roster. They do not seem to have a roster that's like working out very well right now. Yeah, they have a, a very long injury list, like a, a comically long list of injured players right now. But the players that they have on the field are still very talented and in a lot of cases, very expensive. Um, so I think defensively, they're missing some stuff. But as Joseph Martinez said in his post-game press conference, like I think a lot of these guys aren't trying very hard, maybe aren't fighting very hard for the team, maybe don't want to be there really. Um and that showed on the field. I mean, they, it was not a good showing by Atlanta. 
not to take any credit away from Austin because Austin also performed excellently. They didn't luck into any of it. Uh, Atlanta just made it a little bit easier for them to dominate. Yeah, I think I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get this right. Well, one of the injuries, Brad Guzan being injured probably hurt them a lot in this one, I feel like, because their goal, Atlanta's goalkeeper did not bathe himself in glory in any way. But they yeah, have, I think, I think they have a, maybe one or two guys injured and then they have two players injured and then Bobby Shuttleworth was there. He retired after he wasn't getting the starting role anymore. And so they're playing this, this, uh, Rocco, um, Rios Novo, I believe is his name. I think I'm getting his name right there, but yeah, he wasn't great. I think miles Robinson is another huge one that, uh, maybe earlier in the season, if, Atlanta's defense isn't holding up. Robinson is there to kind of bail some guys out. He's not been there for a while. Down with an Achilles injury, he's going to be out for the whole season, likely. Um, but yeah, they, they do have. I think they they have an excuse there, but there are bigger problems than just injuries happening there right now. Um, so let's take a look at the Austin lineup. So coming into the game, Julio Cascante and Johan Romagna were both listed as questionable. Both ended up on uh, on the game day roster. Julio Cascante ended up in the starting 11, which was big news because with Kip Keller out, with Cascante missing the last match, with Romagna having to come out of the last match, we were thinking that Alex Ring was going to be playing center back in this game. And so to see Julio Cascante not only getting on the plane in the pre like in the the social media pictures posted beforehand but then to see him in the starting 11 that was a huge relief yeah what so what did you think about the starting 11 11 overall when you saw it because i know we we expected some amount of rotation probably more than we ended up well because of the red cards uh for for danny too and then the injuries but like feel like a lot of people th- thought that was this lineup was uh was off or strange but I don't know who else other than starting Sebastian Giussi like I don't know who else you would have started in this match given the parameters that we had yeah I mean like um, it was it made me a little bit concerned for how the game would go but like I wasn't super surprised or upset by it with how many games we have have already played and all of them being on the road and then the fact that we have not very much time until this Houston match on Tuesday and the one in Atlanta being played on turf, which uh, is it kind of drains you a little bit faster and more prone to injuries on Tuesday. We're going to be playing in extreme heat on very short rest. And so like, I, I totally understand why you might want to rest Sebastian Driussi and get him a little bit of time in this game just to keep him fresh to contribute to the game some, um, so yeah, I was a little bit concerned with it, but like after thinking about what this starting 11 could have looked like, I wasn't like having Julio in the game kind of made me not nervous about it. Slightly concerned that we weren't going to have the the attacking firepower that we needed, but not worried that it was going to be a bloodbath or anything like that, or that, uh, we we're just going to get torn apart with, with people playing out of position. Yeah, there's none of that midweek three at the back, or yeah, there's no Aiden Stanley, there's no Manny Perez yeah. <laughs> in this lineup. So this is definitely even rotation wise, it's just a lot stronger and deeper team than it was last year. Yeah, so with uh, the the switches 
let's go through kind of the roles that that these players were playing within this formation. So I guess we can go through the starting eleven entirely. So Brad Stuver, John Gallagher at left back, Gabrielson and Cascante at center backs, Lima at right back, Alex Ring, Felipe, and Owen Wolf in the middle. So Owen Wolf gets to start in central midfield instead of on the wing. Danny Houston at the striker, Ethan Finley wide right, Diego Fugundes wide left. Um, so Alex Ring was playing the lone six in the in the attacking shape anyway. He was playing the the lone six. It wasn't really ever a double pivot that we've that we've seen in some games. Um Felipe was playing the Drusi role. So he wasn't really playing the like that double pivot deeper six slash eight. He was playing forward and was and was up even with Owen Wolf. So it seemed like Owen Wolf was kind of doing the Alex Ring role. If we're thinking back to the early starting 11s where Danny is the lone six and then Ring and Drusy are more forward. Alex Ring was playing that lone six. Owen was playing the Alex Ring role and Felipe was playing the Drusy role in that midfield. And then Felipe and Finley, as Chris Bills pointed out, were also playing the roles of themselves in 2015. Uh, <laughs> right. A lot of newer MLS fans may not know or realize that both of these guys were considered very, very good players in this league at one point, not so long ago. They haven't sh- always shown that in Austin, but they they were doing it in Atlanta. Like Felipe was a little bit further forward, playing a more creative role. And then Ethan Finley was was doing what I hoped he could do for this team whenever he was signed as a free agent and hasn't really done yet, but he was doing it in this game and looked really good. Yeah, but you talked about uh, Felipe playing the Driussi role. I was like, yes, absolutely he was in more ways than one, like in, a way, in ways we haven't seen out of him before. You know, he got one goal, and the goal he didn't get was was beautiful. The header, yeah. that, the header that was slightly offside, I mean, was like such a class play, so good for him, except yeah. I feel like we've been kind of hard on him, um, and probably justifiably so, like over the last few matches, because of the way he's looked. But man, he really stepped up uh, in a big way in Atlanta. Yeah, those those runs into the box and the headers were like a little bit Drew UCS, weren't they? Um, so the first goal was by Felipe. Uh, it was in ninth minute. This is not the worst example. But the first example in this game of Atlanta United's uh, embarrassing show of effort during this game. So um, the Atlanta midfielders saw Felipe's run into the box. So I think the ball springs wide to Finley. Finley crosses it in. Uh, Houston does a good job of making that near post run and draws the center back with him. Felipe just kind of floats into that space behind there's two midfielders that watch Felipe make that run and they just like, don't really put in the effort to follow him. Like, "Eh, it'll be fine. Somebody else will take care of it. And they don't. Felipe ends up with an open header and uh, strikes it really well, but there is nobody there putting pressure on him. So I think that's kind of the first example of, of Atlanta's bad defensive effort here. Yeah, you're right. Which they would have more of. Yeah. uh, So for sure. The, the second goal is another example. So, this one is Ethan Finley's goal. It starts with Danny Hooson playing the, playing a ball into Ethan Finley sprinting up the right side. And this was something that we saw a lot. So Atlanta United's left back is 17-year-old uh, Caleb Wiley. Yeah, Caleb Wiley. Um, 
he's having to play because of some of these injuries. So maybe pushed into the starting lineup before he's quite ready, a very talented young player, but um, maybe showed in this game why he was maybe not quite ready to be starting game in and game, game out. And Austin was trying to exploit that. So we've seen a, some other games where Austin has tried to use that, that long ball to Finley as an option. And it hasn't always quite worked out either the balls just not being good enough and Finley not being able to get on the end of them, or in some cases the ball getting to Finley and him not being able to do anything with it. Once, once he receives it, that was not the case tonight. They were kind of bullying Caleb Wiley on that, on that side of the field and just going at him over and over again. So that move specifically doesn't come to anything and it gets recycled back wide, like down the sideline to Cascante. If Atlanta had pressured Cascante at all. They could have forced a back pass there and or maybe like made him make a more risky pass. But Joseph Martinez starts kind of like drifting back towards the keeper, predicting that he was just going to drop it all the way back to the keeper. So he does that and creates some space behind. And then the midfielders don't pressure him at all on the ball. So Julio just turns in field and pushes into the midfield and just keeps dribbling because nobody steps to him, nobody steps to him, nobody steps to him. He plays an unencumbered pass to Diego Fagundes up the left wing, um, and he takes a step inside. Danny Houston makes a really hard near-post run, and Fagundes plays it like an outside-of-the-football, kind of like an out-swinging low cross. It doesn't quite get to Houston, but uh, it does still get into a dangerous position. It falls to... Wiley at the back post, he's left footed. It falls to his right foot and he just kind of scuffs it and it just like bounces in the box. And Ethan Finley for the second game in the row shows why you should always play to the whistle and like follow up on these plays because he keeps running. He's there to pounce on the ball whenever Wiley scuffs it and uh, hits it over the keeper just right there, point blank range and not super different. I guess like not as difficult of a finish as the, as the one last week, but a similar circumstance where it's just like effort allowing him to take advantage of an error by the defense. Yeah. He created, yeah. He created his own opportunity. And it's like that first half and I'll go ahead and include the, it was about 35 when Felipe had the header that went in, that was almost offside, but you know, it's another example of Atlanta having all the possession and Austin like playing aggressive and playing direct when they had the ball and taking advantage of every opportunity, which is what we've seen a lot against the Eastern Conference. And it's what we've seen a lot on the road. Um, and I don't know what leads them to play that way away from home. Um, and maybe not as much at home, but hopefully when we come back home, you know, when we come back to Q2 against Houston this week, we'll see a little more of that. So we're 20 minutes in here. Um, and Austin's already two goals up. Jeremiah, did you see my my tweet about Austin's press and Kevin Morris and I's discussion about whether we are defending in a four three three or a four four two? So I did see that, uh, and that was both of y'all talking about. Was that during the rewatch? I think like that was today when yeah. y'all talked about that. So let's. I think that's worth getting into. I was going to say, do you think anybody cares? Is it interesting to any? I got kind of obsessed it by it. <laughs> so. Well, okay, so like maybe maybe at a high level, maybe not at like a you and Kevin level, but at a. Uh, Things that people should care about. I think it's interesting. I just thought it was a, an interesting look into what Austin's plan is defensively and how we have gone from that, like that FC Dallas game last year where it seemed like 
we're just sprinting around hoping that a ball bounces off somebody's leg to this seeming like very intentional and kind of unorthodox pressing system that we went into in this game. So Kevin Morris tweeted that we started the game defending in a 4-3-3 and ended defending in a 4-4-2. And I didn't see that during the game. I, I was like, I, I we almost always defend in a 4-4-2. And I didn't really notice it being a 4-3-3 in this game. And so I went back and watched it and he's, he's somewhat right. Like Diego Fagundes was really high for the first 20 minutes in that press. And so it, like his rotational responsibilities and like the lanes he was responsible for covering were still very much consistent with the four, four, two that we always do, but he was stepped up significantly higher than Ethan Finley was on the other side of the shape for the first 20 minutes until after that first goal. And I think the plan was to pressure Alan Franco. The, it was the center back on Diego's side. When he received the ball, Diego was cheating higher so he could go and put pressure on that center back. When the ball would swing over to George Campbell, the other center back, they would just let him have the ball. And so Houston and uh, and Felipe, who were the two like forwards in that 4-4-2 shape, they would just stay back and occupy the the midfielders, like the deepest midfielders. Diego would be ready to to jump on Franco again if it got the ball there. And then Finley was stayed wide and was covering the outlet to Wiley on that that other side. And so I don't know if if they thought that Franco was the more dangerous player on the ball or maybe the more prone to make a mistake, but they were trying to force George Campbell to be the one to play those balls in. And it ended up working quite well. Like Atlanta had a lot of the ball, but a lot of times when it would break that that first line, they were kind of a little bit hurried with it. And the back line did back line and the midfielders did a really good job of uh, putting a lot of pressure on those midfielders. Alex Ring and Owen Wolf were making it really tough for those guys in the midfield. And then the back line was really solid all the way across. Um, both fullbacks, both center backs, I thought had really strong games. So after that second goal, uh, Rosetto, one of the the deeper midfielders, started dropping way deep in between the two center backs to um, to receive the ball there. It made it a little bit more risky for that high press. Also, we're up to two nil. So Diego started drifting back into more of like a standard four four two, and they were just going to let it. Okay, if you want to have the ball up there, go for it. We're not going to press as high anymore, but. Uh, most people may find this very boring, but I thought it was fascinating to see how like we do have a specific game plan for certain players and the, the Austin FC players are executing against that plan really well now. Yeah. So that, that either speaks to that the system, like this system has been in place in a second year and now we have the flexibility to do things and, or like Josh Wolf's, growth as a coach, which I feel like it has a big factor on um, how we're playing so much better this year. The fact that the guys know the system enough and he trusted enough that we can do stuff like this now, right? We're not like implementing like the base game plan at this point. And now we can right. be creative. Now we can adjust the situations. Now we can adjust the teams. Cause I feel like last year, because it was so, so new. And he said this, right? He's like, well, we're going to play many times. We're going to play how we're going to play. We're going to play our game regardless of the opponent and we're not doing it that way now. And I don't know if that's, I think it's a little bit of like 
people getting it down enough to be able to to do that and a little bit of him learning from his mistakes and adjusting in his second season. Right. And it, we are playing more direct. We're playing a bit more pragmatic in a lot of games, but still utilizing those principles that he's been installing over the last year and a half. And so it, he's not abandoned his system. He's still using a lot of those principles. The, the structure and the shape of the team is still very specific and intentional and the way they move the ball and where they're moving the ball and where they're looking when the ball is in certain parts of the field is still very structured. They're just not afraid to do it faster and to be, do it more direct at times this year. And it's been working and it's great to know that they can do it both ways now. Yeah. And another example of that, of the, the sort of the difference between last year and this year is if you look at the stats in terms of possession and shots and things like that, Atlanta had very much in 2021 Austin FC numbers, right? They had, 63% of the possession. They played a lot of their own horseshoe of sadness. They had 19 shots, which I was surprised by. They outshot Austin 19 to 10, but none of them generally did not seem very threatening. Um, and it was just kind of, there was a lot of possession. There were a lot of passes to not a lot of purpose for Atlanta. Yeah. I think a, a great example of how Atlanta had a lot of shots, but no good ones is in Mercedes Benz stadium. You know, they'll like they'll do like player of the match or like moment of the match. And it's always of the home team, right? Like they're always going to pick a player of the match and a moment of the match or a save of the match. It's going to be for the home team when it's in the home stadium. And they did now time for your Atlanta United play of the match. And I can't it was maybe Marcelino Moreno or Araujo, one one of their two like dribbly attacking guys dribbled a couple of Austin players and then took a shot and like Brad Stuver just like kneeled down and picked it up off the ground. <laughs> and that was their play of the match. I was like, okay, yeah, that's, um, that's a little bit telling there, but looking at the expected goals chart on the MLS website, it's a bunch of little dots all very close together that added up to their 1.2, uh, XG number. Whereas Austin had, only 10 shots, four on target, but 2.7 expected goals by this model. So um, Austin not getting as many chances, but getting good chances and capitalizing on those chances where Atlanta was uh, playing a bit more hopeful while, while keeping the ball. And it's not quite horseshoe of sadness because they weren't just passing it around. They do a lot more fluid rotation with the ball and they have some guys that'll dribble around, but they were still doing it along that horseshoe they were running around the horseshoe instead of just passing it around like austin did last year um but it didn't lead to anything they're still getting pretty poor shots and austin wasn't really letting them have many great opportunities and then the few good opportunities they did get stuver came up big and and made a couple of really big saves yeah yeah there was one in particular that he made where he just like stuck a hand up on i don't remember whose shot that was it was george um, campbell a big center back um just like rose up and and uh, got up above everybody and headed it really hard. And Stuver, uh, just his positioning is really good. And then his reaction was his was reaction time was to, incredible. To push yeah. it over. So what did you think about? So we're up to no at halftime. I think you said it might have been on Twitter. It might have been the most complete half that you you thought you'd ever see them play. I think is that right? Yeah. Do you think that's out of like I I wrote it at halftime of the game and I like showed it to my wife <laughs> and I was like. Do you think people are going to like yell at me on Twitter for this? Is this out of line? And like, 
I, I went ahead and sent it, but do you do you think that's a crazy thing to say? I don't think it's a crazy thing to say. I think we've had enough halves where I don't I can't like definitively say that I agree, but it was it was solid. It was right, it was dominating all the way up and down. I'm th- I can't remember I'm trying to remember how much we were beating Cincinnati or Miami by at halftime. But even in those home. games, I think I think my reasoning here is that even in those games, I don't remember specifically, but I feel like there was at least one or two moments where uh Julio or Ruben had like a soft pass that led to a shot that should have been scored, but wasn't. And like, we didn't have any of those moments in the first half, really. Like it was pretty dominant game where we were solid defensively. Uh, We were getting into really dangerous areas and exploiting their shortcomings regularly throughout the first half. And I, I just can't think of any other Austin FC games where that's ever happened, where Maybe some of those things happen, but then there would also be some big gaffe by some player somewhere, at least one, if not multiple, that just didn't lead to a goal. Yeah, that's, prob- that's probably true. I-, I think I could agree with that. What did you think about Drew Ucy being the first man off the bench right after halftime? That was interesting. I mean, it like if we're already up 2-0, I could see how it would be tempting to just wait. And say like, okay, we don't need him right now. So let's wait and put it like, instead of giving him 45, let's get him 20 or 30 minutes. Um, but also I could see it be being tempting to say like, like the guy's fit. He does like 45 minutes with a few days rest. He can still go against Houston. Um, but to just kill this game off for Wolf to say like, okay, we're up to nil. Like we're not letting this one slip away. Like, Put in Drewsy, put in Maxi, y'all go kill it. Like no mercy, let's finish this one. And I could see how that would be a like something he wanted to do after some of the performances that Austin has has seen over the last couple of months. Where a lot of times it's been mistakes early, but you could see a reality where that happens reverse, right? Where we go up two nil and then lose our mentality and. um and give up too late. So I think maybe is a little like those guys were going to come onto the field no matter what, right. To get some minutes to stay, to stay fit, to, to see a game out or to come on late and look for a goal if they needed him to. But I was a little surprised to see him go 45. I was too, but you bring up a good point. That's, it would be a great sports science question to ask. Like, is there a practical difference between playing if you played 20 minutes versus 45 minutes. Like it said, does yeah. that really make a difference in the long term? Like, I don't know, you know, and I think people, people assume maybe that it makes a bigger, it makes a bigger difference than it does. You know, is it just getting on the field at all? Is that like the biggest effect or what is it? Because I think that would, that would like inform a lot of how we feel about that. And you know, it all worked out, right? Because he put the icing on the, on the cake there for sure. Um, what, 12 minutes in later, I think something like that. Uh, yeah, the third goal comes in the 57th minute. And so, uh, the, again, we play it up the right-hand side. Finley pushes forward. I, I Maybe it was his first touch that he plays it inside. I think I it think might it have been Finley's. his first touch. Yeah. Um, I was thinking maybe he'd like pushed it forward, but I think it was his first touch, and there is a big gap inside that Uruti runs into. Finley does really well to just slip it right behind his defender into Aruti. Aruti is one-on-one with with an on-rushing goalkeeper. He hits it really hard 
up to the top corner, like the, the near top corner, and it goes off the post, bounces straight down the middle of the field really hard. It's like still moving at that point. And Drusi, who somehow is always in the right place at the right time, knows exactly where the ball's going to go before anywhere else does, gets there and and finishes it. I was going to say taps it in, but it was not a tap in. It was there was some work to be done there. It was would have been extremely easy to just hit that ball straight up in the air with the way it was bouncing, how fast it was moving. It was not necessarily an easy shot to score. Um, and he just buried it. The XG model is giving it a 52% chance. I think that's probably a little bit generous and not taking into account how the ball was bouncing and how fast it was moving at the moment. Yeah, I feel like it's one where it's like 52% chance once he sort of figured out where he was going to go and got a foot on the ball in that exact position. It doesn't account for any of the things that he did to lead to that. It seemed like one of those, it was like one of those like, you know, messing around training challenges, right? Where uh, Aruti bounces the ball off the post, right? Like right to Jerusi. Like yeah. it's, like <laughs> like it's like a hockey assist or something, the way, the way that worked out. But oh, gosh, yeah, it was a, it was a really well-played it was a really well positioned shot. Uh, so, I want to talk about the guys that they were, that Maxi and Juicy replaced. So, Denny Houston, I thought he put in a pretty good shift. Um, he did beef two pretty good chances. One early on, he was one one v one with the keeper, uh, and tried to round the keeper, and it, it went wrong. Which I think he did in another game. He did. That seems to be a common problem. I mean, at least it's happened more than once. That's like a problem that he had, and a problem that speaks to you know, a lack of aggression from sometimes we get frustrated by the club. It's like not just taking direct action um, and getting at the goal. And then we get the other one, like it was right up- before half and it was like a long ball or a cross into the box. And I, he was like going, like made contact with a defender and was like going down, but the ball finds him and he sticks his foot out and like kicks the ball away from the And it goes the, the wrong goal. way. I was it was like say, a clearance yeah. more than a shot. And so <laughs> like not great there. It was it was a tough one, but you would hope he could at least get the ball going towards the goal instead of away from it. Um aside from that, he actually did quite good. Like he he was really helpful in in kind of uh linking play and and providing an outlet and dropping in between defenders and and stuff like that and then playing some nice passes as well, but uh not great in the box where it maybe counted most. And then Owen Wolf, I thought was solid. He put in a really solid, like blue collar performance. He didn't stand out, didn't do anything flashy, but uh, kept the ball moving efficiently and effectively on offense. And then defensively, he made it really difficult for those midfielders, uh, kicked a few dudes, uh, chased some guys down and bodied them off the ball. Just really solid. Like I know he's been playing a lot of, right wing mostly out of necessity but this kid's gonna be a really good central midfielder one day yeah and then the other subs I've, i saw this too like does atlanta understand the disrespect of having roddy reddison and- <laughs> roddy reddis and jared Stroud both on the field together at the same time that was another atlanta. kevin morris tweet wasn't it i think it was we we're giving kevin a lot of love on the show this week uh but rodney looked pretty good right <laughs> Rod, yeah, Rodney did good. Rod, Jared Stroud did not look very good, but I felt like Rodney looked. Rod, this this is like the best of Rodney, like run around, cause some trouble, be one of the faster guys on the field, help kill a game out. Like that's that's what Rodney can do at Rodney's best. Yeah, great like effort. Like we always get good effort from Rodney, right? But he like did made some really smart 
plays and just like was in in some really good positions defensively. But then also he got onto the end of some balls and like slipped some guys in behind and and pulled a ball out of the air at one point or like um no, I think somebody played a really hard ball into his feet and he like trapped it and turned and played another guy in. So it did some good things on it. Um I mean, it's one out of out of lots of other bad performances, but I was I was very pleasantly surprised with Rodney uh in that one. And then yeah, Jared Stroud wasn't great. Again, ran around, made it ugly, but made a few mistakes that could have been a little bit costly. Um Johan Romagna got to come in at the end of the game as well. Got Julio off the field at the end, so he's not uh, putting any more strain on that hamstring. Uh, but Johan, I thought, had a really good performance as well. So I, I thought the entire back line was great. Like, John Gallagher is – he is the starting left back. Like, he's the guy, and he was very, very good in this game. And Gab- Played- Gabrielson had a couple, like, really strong tackles too, right? I thought he was very, very good. Um uh, Taylor Twellman was tweeting about Gabrielson saying that like he's kind of like a sleeper pick for acquisition of the year in MLS. And like, I think maybe that's a, a bit of an overstatement for like acquisition of the year, but he's very good. And like, I think whenever we were, we heard about the signing and we're like hoping for what this could be, he is that right now. Like, he is what we need him to be. He's a leader. Uh, physically dominant against most MLS players. His position positioning is really good. Some of those like mistakes that we saw early on, he seemed to kind of cut those out and he hasn't really made that many mistakes in, in the last run of games, but he's been great. Um, I did want to talk about Gallagher's shiner. So it was hard to see from where we were. We could barely see that players had faces much, much less like what was on them, but uh Galler had like a big swollen eye and like a cut on his eye. And it was in the I think the 30 oh no it was early like in the first half, but ball was going out of play. Gallagher kind of boxes out Araujo and uh, like out of frustration, Araujo just like kicks at him and it like kicks him in the head really hard. <laughs> like if you watched on the replay, you can see it. He makes contact and like uh, Gallagher like recoils from it, but later on you can see it's really swollen and bleeding. Um, and then Felipe, right after that, he maintains his, uh, his shit housing crown in this moment, but Gallagher was off of the field and it looked like the, like the ref wasn't going to do anything about it. And so he it looked like he was trying to restart play while Gallagher was off the field. And so Felipe, just like out of nowhere, just like goes down. It was like, oh, I have a cramp or something. <laughs> and players over there attending to him and the ref goes over and they call medical staff on. And during this time, I don't know if it, if it was because of this, but um, I think Felipe was trying to give Gallagher time to come back onto the field, but also give the ref time to review for a potential red card maybe. They end up going over and giving Araujo a yellow and – Again, maybe that was already going to happen, but at the very least, Felipe wasn't going to let them restart play without Gallagher on the field. And that, I thought he did a few of those little moments where slowing down the game, um, being a little bit annoying, things like that. Like he played a good game soccer wise, but I think kind of the like the dark arts side of his game was really strong in Atlanta as well. Yeah, I've, I've 
was going to talk about that, then I forgot it. But I feel like that was his strongest. It was his strongest performance in in terms of those. Like even when he caught the ball in the face, um, on the on the free kick, right uh, in the first half, he took full advantage of staying down as long as he could possibly stay down. Yeah, it looked like he was just going to like keep going, and then like thought twice about. It. I was like, actually, I'm going to lay down here for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Any other players or moments from this game that we want to talk about, Jeremiah? I don't think there's much we need to, to to do. I mean, I think you you kind of hit on it earlier. I mean, it was a complete performance. It's a dominant performance. It was. It just never felt in doubt, and it was. I know with the rotation, people were worried, and I saw people on Twitter talking about like, "Oh, well, you know, we're we're gonna try to keep it nil nil, and then you know maybe score a goal later, or whatever." But to see them just come out on the front foot and just absolutely crush Atlanta was really rewarding, and it. I mean, it makes me think that. Again, maybe we're actually like a really good team. And this is not all a fluke, right? We're over halfway through the season at this point and now second in the West. And I think still second in the Supporter Shield overall, correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, let me pull up those standings. I can't remember how many points ahead of the third place team in the Shield we are, but we are just, yeah, two points behind LAFC in the Supporter Shield. And we're four points ahead of. Uh, New York Red Bulls, who have played a game more than us. And so potentially even higher above them. But looking at the Western Conference standings, uh, we now have a 10-point advantage over the fifth-place team, who is the Galaxy. They do still have a game in hand, but uh, to have a nine-point advantage over Dallas in fourth place, this starts putting Austin in, like, it's going to be harder to miss the playoffs than it is to make the playoffs. I think we need to get like, um, let's see, we have 15 games left. Correct. And general wisdom is that you need 50 points to be safe in the playoff. We currently are on 37. So we only need 13 points from 15 games. So we, we, we need 0.87 points per game. Uh, yeah, it would be a real epic collapse if that did not happen. Yeah, looking back at 2021, we ended 2021 with 0.91 points per game. And so we would have to be worse than we were last year for the rest of the season in order to miss the playoffs, which seems impossible at this point. <laughs> I know that like Josh Wolf and the players won't talk about it, in the post-game press conference, both him and Felipe were saying like, no, game at a time, one game at a time, which I think that's what you want the players to say. And that's like how you want them to think, but we're not the players. We don't need to remain motivated. Whatever we think or say doesn't affect the team really. So I'm going to say it like Austin's almost guaranteed to make the playoffs at this point, which is amazing. Yeah. We, we weren't sure at all if they were going to do that. One thing about the one game at a time thing that I appreciated for this one is there were so many people that wanted us to over rotate or like you know concede this match to to because Houston's coming on Tuesday or whatever, you know it's like points are points you know and so they picked up another three which makes it even harder for them to miss the playoffs. So even if somebody had gotten hurt and something bad you know Houston turns out to be a bust like there's still every point you pick up puts you in a better spot toward the end of the year. So I love this approach and I love the mentality of the team. Yeah, one thing Felipe said and it's like um. I like this concept, but he said in the post-game press conference that 
like we can't think further down the line. We we should we have to think about the next game. And like at the end of the season, he, he kept saying this at the end of the season, we'll do the math and see if we made the playoffs, essentially, <laughs> which I thought that was like a funny way to look at it. But he's right. Like by trying to game the system, like, oh, let's throw this one and do blah, blah, blah. No, 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 just let's go out and win this game. And once we've done that one, we'll think about the next game and let's go and win that game and not like try to game it too much, like overcomplicate it, play too many mind games with yourself. Just, OK, this guy's tired. Let's rest him. Play this guy. This guy needs a little bit of management. Sure, do that. But like, don't overcomplicate it. Just play soccer games, win soccer games. Totally. So let's talk about this next game, which is coming up today in the uh, tomorrow in our world, but today in the the eyes of the listener. It's Houston Dynamo at home, a match that we thought might have some effect on the Copa Tejas, which will not at all, really. Like Copa Tejas is still going to come down to what happens in Frisco. Yeah, it could have an effect on what result we need in Frisco. But really, if we go to Dallas and beat FC Dallas, Austin is Copateos champs. And if we don't, we're probably not. Right. So uh, Houston, I'll go. So Houston, was there one win? Was this one win, three draws, and one loss in the last five? Is no, one, right? one win, three losses, one draw. This is what happens when I'm all-american on these things <laughs> i didn't really, i didn't realize they had been so poorly in recent form but yeah they're so they're outside the playoff right now they haven't been very good since since we beat them down there um they played quite an interesting match against dallas over the weekend which included uh, a whole bunch of fans throwing a bunch of stuff at jesus ferreira <laughs> and and the fc dallas players when dallas picked up a draw at the end of uh at the end of that one so i mean what do we think? What do you expect from Houston? I mean, so they brought on Hector Herrera for his first appearance in that game as well. Um, I only got to see highlights of it, but from all of the reporting done on that game, it seems like Herrera changed the game when he came in. So I think that's something that we're going to have to be uh, mindful of. I think I said that we talked about this on Westward Ho one week, talking about what Herrera was going to do for the, the Dynamo. Does he make them better? Absolutely. He makes them a lot better. Does he fix all of their problems? Not even close. So I think they partially have a problem with where they're going to play him. I think they've kind of solved that with Matias Vera will play the six behind the rest of their midfield. They'll play Herrera and probably Karaskia uh, ahead of him, kind of as those like dual eight tens, kind of like what Austin does. That brings to the question of what to do with Darwin Quintero. Uh, I've seen in recent games they've played him out on the wing. Apparently in this game with Dallas, they uh, shifted um, the striker kind of wider and were using Quintero as kind of a false nine floating 10 in the middle there. And so it seems like they do have a bit of a plan for that. I don't think it it helps solve any of their defensive um defensive deficiencies here. I think one thing we also need to be mindful of in this one is player availability for Austin. So it's, this is 73 hours after the Atlanta match. And so you're thinking of uh, Austin flying back after that game. They're not going to have a ton of time to, to rest or train or get prepared for this game. Really. Um, Josh Wolf said in the post game press call that 
Owen had a small quad issue, which is one of the reasons why he came off at halftime. Uh, he said that Julio played more minutes than what he really wanted him to in that game. Um, and then Ruben played the full 90 against Atlanta. And so having some of these guys coming off with maybe a little bit of injury or on short rest is a little bit concerning. The good news is we'll have Danny Pereira and Kip Keller back from suspension. So they'll be available either to start or for depth. Um, only names on the injury report this week are Johan Valencia and Freddie Kleeman. So we'll have pretty much everybody available. Maybe somebody with some people with slight knocks on short rest, but everybody's available. So as far as um, the starting 11 goes, I think it'll be our strongest 11 or close to it. I think it's mainly like what Wolf wants to see. Like, do you, do you start Felipe? Do you play the hot hand in this one with Danny, like Danny coming back or do you leave Felipe in since he played so well and kind of like maybe earned that spot? Um, has Finley earned a spot in the starting 11? I think those are decisions Wolf has to make, but as far as like who's available, I think we have our, our full kind of our full stable to choose from in this one. I think so. I think the one that might be the most, um, I don't know. The most different would be like, do, do you think you see Ridmania and Keller as a center back pairing, which is not one that we've seen before? Or do you think like Julio still starts and just doesn't go the full 90? Mm. Yeah, I really feel like we're still going to see Cascante and Gabrielson. Uh, the other two starting, I think both of those guys are prone to. Uh, being out of position and making mistakes and are the least experienced of our defenders. I think you want at least one of those other two guys on there. So as long as, as long as they can go, I think you start the two starters. And then if you need to pull one of them off early, you can do that. But um, I think you start the two guys, Cascante and Gabrielson there. I think the real questions for him are coming in the midfield. So that'll be interesting to watch as far as like what Austin needs to do. I think often offensively, Austin can just play their game because like I said, Houston is still not very good defensively. Hector Herrera doesn't really fix that. And so I think they don't need to really have any special game plan against Houston defensively. They need to remain disciplined. They've been doing that in recent games. The defense has been a lot better. And if they can do that against Houston, because Hector Herrera, uh, Carasquilla, Quintero, they all have the ability to do something really special and kind of with one pass, one dribble, one move, completely disorganize your defense. And so if Austin keeps rotating and covering for each other and hustling back and, and doing, doing the defensive work they've done these last few games, they can maintain Houston. But if they have any mental lapses, like we've been prone to do uh, over the course of the last year and a half, uh, these guys can, can bury you in just one place. So I think they'll have to be careful with that. Let's go on. So we've got two matches this week. Are you going to go to Dow? Are you going to Frisco? I am. Yeah. Okay. So you'll get, so you're going to be two, two road weekends in a row. I'm not able to because my wife is going out of town and I uh, couldn't convince my 11 year old son to go to Frisco. My 13 year old was all in on it, but the little one was not. So I won't be up there. I'll be watching it safely from the comfort of my home. But Dallas has also not been very good recently, right? They've tied, they drew us, drawn Houston, drew Miami, lost LAFC, drew us, and lost to Vancouver in their last five. So they yeah, picked so up no wins in the last five. Two, 
two points in the last five matches, so they're sliding down the table a little bit. I mean, I feel like they're still dangerous, right? They've still got talent, still got Ferreira. Um, but we know them, but we have not man- we still not have still have not managed to achieve a victory over FC Dallas. So what's what's Austin's key to finally getting over that and picking up a win on the road? Uh, I mean, I think it's a lot of the same. Like Houston and Dallas aren't the same team, but I think those same keys will will help them beat this Dallas team. A lot of dangerous attacking options. They have gone a little bit cold recently, but guys like Ferreira, Paul Ariola, Alan Velasco, they've got guys coming off the bench in uh, Jader O'Brien. A lot of really dangerous players. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, again, just like discipline, defensive work, defensive rotation, and then keeping that intensity up. I think that's another thing that we saw a lot last year is – the intensity letting us down hasn't been as much of a problem this year, I think on the mental side of things. But if you think of how many games that they've played recently, how hot it's going to be on Tuesday against Houston and how hot it's probably going to be on Saturday in Frisco, um, they are going to need to be mentally tough in both of these games to, to pull out a result. Yes. But like, like, like you said before, like essentially there's a high likelihood that this is going to come down to that game in Frisco for who's going to win Copa Tejas, right? Yeah, I think if Austin wins, I think this is right. If Austin wins in Frisco, we win Copa Tejas. And the Houston result is irrelevant if we win in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. I think no matter what, if we beat Dallas, we we win. The Houston result, if we if we beat Houston, that gives us a flexibility, I think, to either win or draw and still pick it up. So that would be the difference is we wouldn't have to beat Dallas in order to to get it if we also beat Houston. But I mean, it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see sort of the reaction to it. Cause I think we talked about this a show or two ago. I feel like it was, people kind of made a big deal. The clubs made a big deal out of it last year because that was the only thing we had. Cause all the teams were terrible. Yeah. So now, you know, in context of like, if you're pushing for a playoff match at home, does Copa Teos matter as much? I mean, I think it probably does for us, but I don't know that. I don't know. I don't know that it does to the club. It won't sting for very long if we stay in the top four or in right. second in the supporter shield standings. So uh, I think you're right. It does. It still, it mean, it'll mean a lot to the fans. It'll mean a lot to the players. Um, I think it does. I don't know that it did mean anything to them last year. I think it does now. Um, but yeah, the the sting won't last as long if we don't win it if we're still so high in the table. All right, anything else you want to cover, Jeremiah? Now let's go ahead and close it out. All right, we would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It'll help us grow our audience and uh, expose the show to more people. If you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at lvahero87 at jbentley underscore atx, and then at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. Then sign up for the Patreon. You can get some cool swag and make us answer silly and or serious questions. And then visit the Striker Texas website where you can use Moon Tower 22 with a capital M. That's Moon Tower 22 and get a 30% discount. Jeremiah, what should folks look out for there? Well, I realize we need to update the copy due to something that you mentioned that is oh. not the Striker Texas website. It's the Striker Soccer News. That's now that right. we've expanded beyond Texas to also cover Los Angeles... Uh, San Diego, I think, the San Diego Loyal, and Atlanta United. That's right. Um, 
But yeah, I would say just it's a great place to keep up with the latest in transfer news. There's an article from Phil West from today with sort of everything we know about Emiliano Rigoni so far that will be updated um, on an ongoing basis. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week, maybe sooner, with uh, a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we will review the Houston and Dallas matches next week for sure. And then maybe between now and then uh, a special episode for a new signing if that happens. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never... La gente... Oh, my God.